1 Peter 4, 8 through 11, and can be found on page 1016. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. All right. Good morning, guys. Welcome to Trailhead. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are working through a new sermon series called The Invitation, sitting down at the table of grace. We are going to be looking um, for a number of weeks at really just aspects of grace and, and what it means to enter into it. Today, just kind of give you a preview of, uh, of where we're going. Uh, today, we're going to consider, first of all, how grace is like a slingshot, uh, how grace is like a box of crayons. And at the end, I'm going to kind of take the lesson and give you the opportunity to move forward with the lab. We're going to be talking about a practical application for the things that we're discussing. Um, so there you go. There's a preview of where we're going. Last week, we considered Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, and we, we kind of launched the series with this verse. It says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The context of this verse is, is in the context of the Old Testament temple. Um, you would have drawn near to God by coming through the temple, and you would have had to have come um, through a priest in order to approach God. And the way it worked was you had to come through the front door. I mean, there was really no other way to come in, and, and there was a series of courtyards, um, and, and different people could go to different places as far as approaching God. Very few, in fact, only one could actually enter into the presence of God, and him only once a year. Everybody else um, could only come so far, and everybody, including the priest, had to bring a sacrifice. And that's because when you came to the temple, you were drawing near to God, but you were, in fact, drawing near to the throne of justice. The temple represented God's holiness, His presence, His character, His desire to bless, but also His need to be judged. God is the measure of all that is right. He is the measure of all that is righteous. We, we call that attribute holiness. He is, in fact, um, without flaw in his character and designed his creatures to share that holiness with him. We don't. <laughs> We're flawed. We come with guilt. And, and as the righteous judge of the universe, he must judge sin. And the temple reflected that. We are coming to a, temp, a, a throne of justice. And what we're saying when we approach through the front door like that is essentially we have a desire and a need to draw near to God, but we also acknowledge that there is um, a blood debt, that, that there is a guilt, a treason, a betrayal that, that we carry on ourselves and, and, and we need someone to intercede for us, a priest. We need someone to ultimately be our substitute, a sacrifice. And of course, the beautiful message of the gospel is that Jesus was both. Jesus was the perfect high priest who entered into the presence of God and the perfect sacrifice, that he was our substitute. And when he died for us, he so fully identified with our sin um, that, that he completely satisfied God's justice. God's justice was exercised in Christ and it was fully satisfied, right? And, and that's why we get to approach not a throne of justice, but we get to enter, a throne, enter to a throne of grace. If you want to put it in, in metaphorical terms, we still come to the temple but instead of having to come through the front door and work our way through the courtyards to approach the throne of justice, we are invited to enter through the back door. We're invited to enter through the family quarters. 
we get to enter into the very presence of God, the very living quarters of God, the holy, righteous, sovereign God of the universe. But we're coming as family because we're clothed in Christ. When we believe in Christ, when we trust in Christ, our sin is completely paid for on the cross and our future is completely covered by the resurrection. We have a new identity in Christ. And when we enter the presence of God, we enter in His righteousness, not ours. We enter by His merit, not our lack of it. So we get to come to a throne of grace, a throne of undeserved favors. We talked about last week, we, we get to enjoy God's riches at Christ's expense. And when we come in, the posture of God is a posture of invitation. He invites us. We don't deserve it. We don't merit it. And we know that, which is why we often so, so often hesitate to actually come into the presence of God, to come to the throne of grace, because we, we still intrinsically know that we're not perfect, right? And, and we still feel that sense of weight, like, man, I think I'm coming to the throne of justice. But the gospel tells us we come to a throne of grace. And God's posture toward us is a posture of invitation, a posture of welcome. The expression on his face is, is an expression of delight because God delights in his son. In fact, all of his delight rests in his son. And when we come into his presence clothed in his son, all of his delight rests on us. So he sits at the table and he invites us to the table of grace. He invites us to sit down and enjoy his presence even as he delights in us, to delight in his delight of us. And when we draw near to the throne of grace, we receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Mercy means that we don't get what we do deserve, and grace is getting what we don't deserve, right? So we receive both pardon and power. Pardon for what we've done wrong and power to, to live a different kind of life, a life that is empowered and transformed and changed, freed from, from pursuing things that don't give life to pursue things that actually do. Mercy to give us pardon, grace to give us power to live a life worth living. And here's the thing, you guys. The more deeply you have tasted your pardon, the more you'll experience the power. The more deeply you have tasted your pardon, the more powerful that forgiveness is to you that grace of forgiveness, that grace of pardon, the more it moves you and grips you, the more you'll experience the power of grace in your life. The more gratitude you have, the more transformation you'll experience. To illustrate, let me share a story with you. This is the story of Corey, who has uh, been my, my church planting resident for the last couple of years here at Trailhead. Um, let's go ahead and queue up and show the video. My name is Corey Johnston. I'm a church planter. I grew up in a very narcotic-centered home. Uh, my dad died of a cocaine overdose whenever I was seven. My mom, to this day, at 60 years old, is still an addict. So growing up in that environment, I didn't really um, know any differently. I started pretty habitually um, partaking in drug abuse in fifth grade, and that continued all the way through junior high and high school and, and even well into college. And, and it wasn't until in junior high that my mom had got arrested for the first time, and she was actually a part of one of the biggest drug busts in our town. But while that does sound like, um, I mean, a really hard time as it was, it was really actually a really beautiful time, and that I got to move in with my grandparents. And for the first time 
ever I got to experience a, a kind of quote unquote normal family. And so I can actually remember one night laying in bed and, and having my grandpa just kind of tuck me in as he usually did. And I asked him a question about Jesus, and then he went on to share the gospel with me as best as a seventy-year-old man could with a you know a twelve-year-old kid. Um, he just laid out the gospel and laid out who Jesus was and what Jesus had done for me, and um, and I knew in that moment that there was something more. I knew in that moment that there was something better, um, and that it was Jesus. But it would be some time before things would change, as my mom would was about to be released from jail, and so like any young boy um, craves a relationship with their mother, I wanted to move back home. And so whenever I moved home, it was the same old routine, just right back to the to just partaking in drugs and hanging out with the wrong crowds and not having a curfew. And, and as she slowly like went down the wrong path, I too followed my role model down the wrong path. That was my lifestyle until one morning uh, I woke up after a long night of, of partying. I don't tell anyone this, but I felt like like God was literally like pulling me to himself, like a very physical sense of him physically pulling me to him. Um, but I knew in that moment that Jesus was better. And I knew in that moment that, that I had to chase that down. I had to follow this passion and this desire that he had given me, um, no matter what. It cost, and so over the next eight months, I went through a, a really hard transition, where I had to try and stop partying and, and stop just partaking in some of the activities that I was I was used to. I lost all of my friends, all of my best friends stopped coming around because I wanted to be a Christian. Um, but within eight months, um, my whole life had changed. It didn't get easier by any means. It, it got harder in a lot of ways. Um, but as I began to like read the Bible and pray and, and really seek out God's character and, and really seek out um, who he was as a father to me, which is something I had, I had never had outside of my grandparents, um, I, just kept, I just kept hearing, you know, Jesus is better. And within eight months, I was enrolled in seminary, um, in grad school, and I had a job. So now looking back, like I know there was nothing I brought to the table, but it was simply like God in his mercy and love and, and grace, he chose to take a college burnout and turn him into a church planner so that I don't get any of the glory. You know, I just get to experience all the joy and he gets all of the glory. I love the story. Um, well, because I know Corey, and uh, I love Corey. Corey um, has been my church planning resident for the last year and a half, and we get to send him out. It's one of the great uh, privileges of being um, a corporate church is we get to send out others, and so we're going to be commissioning him, and he's going to be leaving um, to, to, with his team to launch a new church in March. Um, he's already in the, the preview phase and, and um, transitioning to that. Now, here's the thing with Corey, you guys. The thing with Corey and what I love about him, he is a, a brand plucked from the fire. You know what I mean by that? Like, like there's no explanation for his life. Um, he was put on a path of self-destruction by his family, by his culture, by his own behavior, and by his own choice. He was gladly walking in it until God said, that's enough. And God pulled him out of the fire. And said, you are going to be for my glory. You are going to live in my joy. 
Did you catch that part in the video where he, where he talked about, you know, I don't tell anybody this. You know, there was that night when God, I felt him pulling me to himself. I love that he, I never tell anybody this, and then he puts it in the video. Um, now he, everybody knows. Um, but here's the thing. What I love about that is, is what he's describing there is very real. I mean, in a sense, it, it was probably weird for him in the sense that it was like this, this actual sensation of God, in a sense, hugging him, pulling him. But what he's describing is the gravitational pull of grace. He's describing the gravitational pull of, of grace. Think about it. When, when anyone shows us grace, we're attracted to them. I mean, think about it. If somebody at work, somebody you don't even like, when someone shows us grace, something changes inside of us. And we are, maybe we don't fall in love with them, but, but there's something that happens. We are attracted to love, right? It's like a flower that, that opens up in the morning and turns to follow the morning sun so it can soak in the rays. Our souls can't help but turn to love. We crave it because love is life. It's what makes life worth living, and it is the, 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 the sun, the, the life-giving force of, of our existence. And when we come to understand the grace of God, the love of God is demonstrated in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. When we get it, or, or, or better said, when it gets us, it pulls us in. Like a gravitational pull, it pulls us in. Grace gives us an invitation we simply can't refuse. Why would we want to? I mean, think about it, you guys. The God of the universe, the holy, sovereign judge of the universe, the creator of all things, the measure of all that is good and beautiful and pure and pleasurable, the one who dreamed it all up and the one who holds it all to account looks at us and says, I not only pardon you, I delight in you. I not only will will not hold you to an account of, of sin, rebellion, and debt, because Christ paid that account, I am going to fill your account with the record and the merit of someone so much better. I'm going to remove your debt and I'm going to give you Christ. I'm going to remove your sin and give you Jesus. And when I look at you, I love you. When I look at you, I delight in you. Not because you deserve it, but because Christ deserves it. And I give that to you. And when we get that, it triggers a gravitational pull in our heart toward grace. But that pull isn't the end of the story. See, grace pulls us in to send us out. In uh, April of 1970, NASA launched the seventh uh, manned mission to the moon, um, Apollo 13. Many of you have probably heard of it. It's a fairly famous mission. Uh, There was a movie made about it and and, um, mainly because of the drama. By the time you got to Apollo 13, going to the moon wasn't necessarily, you know, like a daily commute to the store, but but there were systems in place. There was, it was becoming um, familiar. And so they had systems in place. They knew what to expect. They knew how this thing was supposed to go down. The problem was about 56 hours after launch, one of the two oxygen tanks exploded. And they had no way to get the astronauts home in time before they would die because the trajectory of their route would take too long. 
And so the team on the ground went into overdrive, basically trying to figure out how do we get these guys home? How do, how do we save this broken mission? And in the end, they tried to do something that was kind of crazy. In fact, was at that point completely based on theory. Um, and, and they were going to um, give the, the shuttle a, a circumlunar trajectory, which basically means they were going to slingshot them around the moon. They were going to have them fire into the gravitational pull of the moon and then ride that gravitational pull around the moon and then fire the thrusters again on the other side to, in a sense, slingshot them back home. On April 17, 1970, the astronauts landed safely on Earth. The theory worked, <laughs> and I'm glad they were glad. I'm sure they were glad. You guys, grace is like that. It pulls you in to send you out. It's like that gravitational pull. It pulls you in with love to send you out in love. God offers you love, unconditional, forgiving, renewing love. Purchased at a dear price, Christ himself, the holy son of God, dying in your shame and rising again so that he could give you his righteousness, free to you, not free to him. You guys, the more, the more we're amazed at God's grace, the more the gravitational pull will affect our lives. The more powerfully God's grace grips your heart, the more powerfully God's grace will send you out in the power of love. The greater the slingshot effect will be in your life. See, if you've tasted that kind of love, it will change you and you will go back into life different. I mean, think about Corey, you guys. How how do you take a guy who's a drug addict the son of drug addicts, in a pattern of family brokenness and turn him into a church planter? How do you, over the course of eight months, produce such a significant change in that guy's life that he goes from an absolute pattern of self-destruction to an absolute pattern of living for God's glory and for the good of others? There's only one explanation. Grace. See, grace amazed him. Grace undid him, and grace remade him. And it sent him back out. And here's what I want want you to catch, you guys. This is an essential part of God's plan for you. We're not talking about something that's exceptional here. We're talking about something that is normal to the Christian life. And if it's not normal to our experience, we are not normal Christians. We're talking about a normal response to grace, a normal response to love. If God's love does not undo us and remake us, changing the trajectory of our lives, we don't understand grace. We may think we do. We may have a doctrine of grace. We may have a theory of grace. We may have claimed grace because we want the benefits of grace. But until grace changes us, we probably are not getting grace because love always changes us, doesn't it? Can you encounter love and be, walk away unchanged? You can't. Love does that. It changes us. And so grace is designed to change us. Grace is designed to slingshot us back into our lives, into our relationships, 
into our communities, into our workplace, into our cities, into our families, into our church, into our world on a mission of love. And what ends up happening is, is it's not just a, you don't get sent back unchanged, right? God changes you in the process, and the process itself helps to change you. And he, in fact, will give you gifts. He, he will not only send you back, but he's going to give you gifts on your way back, right? Those gifts or those, those charismata, it's actually a form of grace. God will, in fact, give you talents, abilities, strengths to use in his service, to use for the good of others, to use for your own joy. See, with Corey, God changed him, and then God gave him some new gifts, and then God sent him out. And it was a beautiful thing, and it's a beautiful thing when God does that in any of our lives. And in fact, this is the heart of our passage in 1 Peter. Okay, we're going to look at one verse today, 1 Peter 4.10, um, and we're going to focus on really the main idea of, of 1 Peter 4.10. Take a look at that verse. It says, as each has received a gift... Now, he's talking there about a spiritual gift, that sense that when you become a believer in Christ, God gives you a new talent. A new, every, every new believer is given a, a new strength, a new talent, a, a capacity to be used. He says, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, we're going to spend some time next week unpacking this idea of gifts. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with that today. Next week, we're going to be looking at what gifts are and how God gives them and how we discover them and what it means to actually walk in them, Right? and what it means to actually expand our experience of grace through them. It's the big idea of this verse that I want to dig into today, and that's the idea of stewardship. See, when we believe the gospel, we are made stewards of grace. We are forgiven, right? We're forgiven. We receive pardon. That's mercy. That's the, the forgiving grace. And we're, we're given power, which is transforming grace. So we're not just given a certificate of forgiveness. We're given an empowerment right? An empowerment that is designed to change the trajectory of our lives, to, to take us in a new direction, a direction of love for God and love for others. And it's designed so that we will move out on mission because we have a God on mission. God's on mission to proclaim His love to a lost and dying world, to see people far from Him brought near. And we are sent out on that mission as well. And as we go out on it, we discover more and more of the power and the beauty of grace. And that's what it means to be a good steward of grace. Think about it, you guys. To be a steward of grace is not to be an owner or merely a manager. A steward is somebody who is managing something in a sense that somebody else owns, but I'm doing it for his good as well as my own. Right? So I've been a steward. I've been made a steward of God's grace. It's God's grace, but I'm a steward of it. What that means is, is that I've received grace. I need to operate in grace, and I need to discover and experience more of grace. That's what it means to be a good steward of grace. We're not a good steward of grace if we simply receive it, lock away, and say, okay, I've got my ticket. We're not being good stewards of grace if we simply have an idea of grace and not an experience of grace. God gave us an incredible gift in grace, and He wants us to experience its manifold beauty in a changed and transformed life. Good stewards. Receive grace, operate in grace, and discover more of grace. Now, what's interesting is it says in, in verse 10 that, that we are to be um, good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, that little word varied is, is probably a word you're just going to skip right over and you're going to, oh, I wonder what that means and keep right on running, right? The question that we need to ask is, uh, what does that mean, right? I posted this verse this morning on Facebook um, as I was just up this morning kind of meditating and, 
And um, a former student of mine who's stationed in Okinawa, I loved it. I mean, within two minutes posted, uh, hey, Mr. Mizell, what does varied mean? I'm like, that's the perfect question, right? It's a beautiful word. Uh, let me explain it to you like this. You guys remember when you were a kid and you would go shopping for your school supplies? That was always an exciting time, right? It was like binders and pencils. And, and, and then you'd come to the aisle with all the crayons, right? You remember that? And they're all different kinds of, of boxes and crayons. Let me ask you something. Which box did you want? I already know. I already know. It's like the AT&T guy that's sitting at the table with all the kids. What's better, bigger or smaller? And everybody says, bigger. bigger. Of course, bigger. You're looking at it going, huh, I can have eight <laughs> or I can have 120. You know what I'm saying? And 120 has got a sharpener. How sweet is that, right? Who wants to be that kid? You're at their desk, you pull out your little eight, and you look over, and she's got 64 or 120, and you're high. You know what I'm saying? Like, we want bigger's better, right? Bigger's better. I mean, who wants to color with orange when you need atomic tangerine <laughs> or neon carrot or mango tango? Seriously, those are the actual colors. Um, I remember the first time I got a big box of crayons. Man, I was so excited. Back in that day, the biggest box was 64. So I got my 64 crayons, right? Um, my art world opened up. My pictures were just as bad, but they were way more colorful. Um, you guys, the word varied. Another English word would actually work better there, variegated. The province is no less familiar. You're like, Steve, that's not helping. Variegated means multicolored. Multi-shaded, multicolored. What he's saying is we are to be stewards, good stewards of God's multicolored grace. Grace is like a box of 120 crayons. And we're supposed to color with all of them. The reality is many of us, though, are only using one or two colors. Oh, I like grace to get me to heaven. Occasionally, I turn to grace to help me overcome maybe a weakness or a sin in my life. What about all the other manifestations of grace? What about grace to serve? What about grace in gifts? What about grace to be on mission? See, to be a good steward of God's grace means that we're coloring with all the crayons. We're exploring all the manifestations and empowerments of grace. Not just the pardon, but the power that equips us to be who God is calling us to be and do what God's telling us to do. God wants you to experience all the colors, all the variations, all of the power. Here's the thing. We don't get more grace. We have all the grace there is in Christ. But many of us are only experiencing a small portion of it because we're not walking in the grace. We're not being good stewards of the grace. We're limiting our own experience of grace. I can guarantee you, no matter where you are in your Christian life, there's more grace to experience because God's grace is infinite. And the call to us is to continually push into a deeper, more powerful, more, prof more profound experience of God's grace, of His love, releasing it in our lives and experiencing it, sharing it with others. Which means that we need to stop sitting on grace and we need to start moving in grace. Or as Peter says in this passage, you've received a gift. You need to use it. You need to use it. You need to use it in service to others. You need to use it in service to the body. You need to use it in service to people that are not followers of Christ so that others can be blessed 
and you can grow in the experience. That's what it means to be a good steward. All right, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be sitting in 1 Peter 4, and we're going to unpack these ideas about um, love and, and, and the gifts and, and other things. Um, and that's the lesson. I mean, really, this is the, the, the lesson, the theory, the truth that I want to unpack as we look at it. But the reality is this is a lesson that was always meant to be explored in a lab. This is the kind of, you know, it's like biology. You have to have a lab that goes with the lesson if you're really going to understand it. When you're talking about theology, um, intellectual theology is deadly if it is not, in fact, combined with practical theology, which is theology in action, right? So we're going to give you an opportunity to put this in action. Um, we actually have a lab right here. It's called the church, amazingly. Um, this lesson is uh, meant to be worked out in the church. Uh, so I'm going to be very direct. We need you to be involved. We need you to use your gifts. We need you to serve. You're like, Steve, I'm not a member. You don't have to be a member. You're a member of the body of Christ if you're a follower of Christ. Right? Yeah, but I've only been here for three weeks, and I'm not sure if I'll be here for more than six months. I don't care. Right? When's the best time to be a good steward of the manifold grace of God? Now. Not later. Right? Um, there's a lot of excuses, but the reality is there's a lot of need. Um, we have a need for you to be involved right now, and soon we're going to have more need than ever. Um, this week, I shared through a video to our members um, an exciting announcement, which basically is this. We have decided to go to three services, um, and we're planning on doing that on March 2nd. So on March 2nd, we're going to have three morning services, and uh, those services will be, um, the early morning will be 8 o'clock, and then we're going to have one at 9.30, and then we're going to have one at 11.15. Church will get out at the same time. The last service will still get out at 12.30. Um, and why are we doing that? Why are we creating um, another service? In fact, I've, I've already heard from some of you <laughs> um, about the last time we did it, right? And some of you are like, yeah, I remember that. Um, two years ago, uh, on the tail end of one of our big surges, we're like, oh my goodness, we have a lot of people here. Why don't we start a third service? So we did a Sunday night. Here's the thing. We learned a lot from that service. Mainly, we learned what not to do. Um, and, and that's really one of the best things about doing things and looking at it and going, ah, that didn't work. Right? Here's, we're not afraid of failure around here. I'm not afraid of doing something and not having it work. Um, if I were, man, here's the thing. If you never fail, you're not taking enough risk. If you never fail, you are not pushing hard enough. Right? We've been given an incredible mission, and that mission requires us to be engaged and creative, and, and it means for us to push, and sometimes it doesn't work, and sometimes it does. We're doing our best to discern God's leading in this, um, and so just kind of pull back the curtain a little bit. This is something we've been working through and talking through, um, this week, I met with the leadership team, the deacon team and the leaders of teams, and, and we just kind of weighed it out. We looked at the data. Here's the interesting thing is, is our biggest season is coming up. Our highest attendance every year falls late February or in March. This is the biggest time for visitors to come. People, for, for whatever reason, this is, this is when we're looking at the seasons of our church and of our culture, we're coming up on one of the most significant seasons for, for people to respond to invitations and actually um, come around and hear the gospel. And um, when you look at our space, um, there are some challenges. Um, we, we have a space that, that is a little interesting in its layout. Um, I think we've been able to work with it fairly well. The challenge is you get about 100 people in here, and it feels pretty full. 
Um, honestly, if you get to 100, 110, it feels kind of packed. In fact, the only seats that generally are left are the least attractive ones, the ones that are right up front or the ones that are kind of in the middle, right? Um, and, and when you get that crowded, um, you know, if you're, if you're a member here, you've been around for a while, you're a follower of Christ, you might be like, I don't mind that, man. I don't mind crowding. In fact, it might even be a little bit exciting to you. You might be like, wow, man, there's like buzz going on here. Well, that's awesome. Well, here's what I want you to think about. The people that are going to be um, least likely uh, to like crowding are the people that we most want here. That's not to say that I don't value our members and regular attenders. But here's the thing. We're called to be on mission. We're not supposed to be focusing on the needs of community. We're supposed to be a community on mission. And a community on mission is looking at the needs of the outsider, the needs of the ones that are far from God to figure out how we can give them the opportunity to come near to God. If you have somebody who is not used to Trailhead Church, and in fact, not used to church at all, and they come in and, and they have to sit next to people they don't know and do things that are weird in a really tight space, that can be hard, right? You're like, it's church, man. It's not that weird. Really? Think about it. Where else do you go and sing? Where else do you go? And they say, read the words on the screen. And then you sit and listen to a guy lecture, right? And it's not always very good, right? And... and <laughs> And, and then you're called to like respond, and that can be a challenging thing for people that, are, that, are, that don't know, right? That this is unfamiliar. And they can be the ones that are most susceptible, honestly, to overcrowding. Because if they come in and they're just like feeling awkwardly tight and, and the person next to me smells and, and this is, you know what I'm saying? They may be like, yeah, that was, a, that was a nice try, but I think I'm checking out. Here's the thing. We need to create space. We need to create opportunity as we move into this season. We're currently running just under an averaging, just under 200 a week. Um, that means on our low days, we're about 180. On our big days, we're about 220. Um, our, our highest is 250 uh, adults in the service. You put 250s and adults in, this, in these two services, and it is, it is absolutely packed, right? So we believe as we come up on this season of growth, when people are most likely to respond to invitations, we need to create opportunities for people to... Um, have a place to sit, to have open space. And that means the best and the most effective way to do that is to start a, um, a third service. Um, so our leadership team took a look at this. They recommended to the elders that this would be the best course of, of action. We looked at a number of and had very lively discussion about it. The elders prayed about it. They looked at it. They, they went over. We talked about the same things and, and basically came to the conclusion that that was correct. And, and so we believe this is the best option. And we believe that the Lord is, is leading us in this. The biggest challenge we have, there's a lot of challenges, there's a lot of strategy, and a lot of that's going to be unpacked in the coming days. Um, and in fact, I'll let you know, we, um, because of the timing of this, normally I would have a members meeting where I would share this with the members first. We would talk about it with the members um, and then move to a public phase. Because of the timing of all of this, I ended up releasing a video to the members this week. Um, we are having a members meeting, and it's coming up this Saturday at 9 o'clock. Uh, if you're a member in the church, we really want you to be there. We're going to be talking about our strategy and the things that we need to do to make sure that this thing comes together and, and uh, we're being wise in the way that we're moving forward. Here's the thing. Some of you um, may have not have gone through the membership process yet, but you consider Trailhead home. And we have a new membership process coming up in February. Here's the thing. If you consider Trailhead home and, and, and you want to move toward membership, I'm going to invite you to the members meeting this Saturday, even though you haven't already gone through the process. And you can be part of the conversation. You don't have to say anything. Maybe you just want to listen. But I'm inviting you to come out 9 o'clock here as we talk through some of the strategy. The biggest challenge we're facing is this, you guys. The biggest challenge is this. We need more people serving. 
we need more people serving. Um, our, our teams are already thin, to tell you the truth. We have way more people attending than we do have serving, way more. You guys know the 80-20 rule, right? The, the 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Uh, recent statistics um, tell us that that's actually shifted to a 90-10. 90% of the work is being done by 10% of the people, which is indicative of our consumeristic society. We're a society of consumers, right? The challenge for us um, is, is that we need you to be involved to counteract this, right? When you're a brand new church um, and you're small, everybody's involved because you have to be, right? If you show up, it's like, hey, how are you doing? Help me do this, right? It's just, there's always a need. The challenge is as you grow, like we have over the last three years, people show up and it seems like things are getting done. It seems like there's already systems in place. It seems like there's already leaders. And so it's very easy to show up and consume as opposed to show up and contribute. And, and I just want to make sure that I'm putting the challenge out there. Here's the thing. It is in your interest as a steward of grace to get involved. This is not just me saying, hey, we have a need. It's me saying, we're a church, and this is the way church works, right? Church isn't a building you go to. It's a people you're part of. The word church, ecclesia, means the called out people of God. To be a follower of Christ and part of the church means to be part of, of, of uh, the people and um, operating in grace with the people around you. So here's the thing I'm going to give you as I wrap up. Three good reasons <laughs> that when you leave here, you're going to go visit that counter right over there and you're going to sign up, right? You're going to be on a team. I'm going to give you three good reasons so that when you leave here, you walk across the lobby over to the counter where there's sign-up sheets and put your name on there, okay? At first, you're going to benefit. You're going to benefit by serving. It's a rule of life. You get more out of what you put more into. When I was in education, this was actually one of our strategies to counteract um, student dropout rates, if you could get students involved in clubs, if you can get them involved in activities, you can get them involved in sports, they were much more likely to stick and work their way through high school. Why? Because you get more out of what you put more into. The more involved you become in something, the more you enjoy that something. The more you get out of that something. The church is no different. The more you invest, the more you get. You will benefit from serving. Secondly, it will help you grow in your faith and your joy. And you will experience more grace. You won't earn more grace. We can't earn more grace. But we can experience more of the grace that Christ has earned for us as we move forward as good stewards of grace. Here's the thing. Some of you have stagnated in your walk with God. I mean, honestly, some of you, if we just pull back the curtain, you're like a little bored in your walk with God, right? And, and it may be because you've kind of stopped walking, right? You've disengaged a little bit. You found a comfort zone and you planted yourself right in the middle of it. As stewards, we are not called on to be consumers. We're called on to be family. Now think about that consumer idea for a minute. When you're a consumer, let's say you're going out to a restaurant. When you're going out to a restaurant, you're going as a consumer, right? You're going to consume the food and critique the environment. That's what you do. You consume and critique, right? So if you're, if you're going to a burger joint, you're going to compare it to other burger joints. If you're going to a high-end restaurant, you're going to compare it to other high-end restaurants. And you do the same thing at church. People come to church all the time to consume and critique, right? They show up and they're like, yeah, that, that worship wasn't quite to my flavoring, right? I like mine a little more spicy, right? Uh, that sermon was a little dry. That was overcooked a little, should have been a little more moist, right? And, and so we consume 
and we critique. Oh, man, that was so good. What a powerful, right? What we're saying is I enjoyed eating it. (laughs) I enjoyed consuming it. Here's the thing. It's not bad to consume. We all consume, right? We come because we have needs and our needs are met. As we come under and we worship God and, we, and we, we come under the sound of the teaching of the Word, it's not bad to consume. The challenge is we don't want to be consumers. We want to be family. When you come together for a family meal, do you come like you're coming to a restaurant? I mean, no, you, you help. You set the table. You pour the drinks. You help prepare the food. And here's the thing. The food at a family dinner is seldom as good as it is at a restaurant, but it's often more enjoyable. Because it's not just about a consumer finding the best product. It's about people moving into community and enjoying love. See, God has called you to be part of the family. Not a consumer, but part of the family. You consume as part of the family, but you contribute as well. And you share much more than you take. Right? You share joy, you share love, and you invest into one another. Here's the thing, you guys. I'm just saying, don't sit back and consume and critique. You need to contribute. And as you do, it will help you grow in your faith. It will help you grow in your experience of joy because it will expand your experience of grace. Thirdly, as you serve, you will equip the church to be on mission. You will equip the church to be on mission. Remember, God is a God of mission. He is on mission to redeem and restore, which is why He sent His Son to be our Savior to be our substitute, to live the life we should have lived, die the death we should have died, and rise again a new life for us, right? Because God's on mission. And as followers of Christ, He is calling us to be on mission with Him. He's moving and He wants us to follow. As we serve, we equip the church to be on mission. Remember, we are the church, right? The paid staff isn't the church. The building's not the church. The people of God are the church. And if the people of God are disengaged, the church is not on mission. We need everybody in the body to be part of the body. In fact, that's a beautiful metaphor that God uses. When He describes us as the body of Christ, think about that. That means we are the hands. We are the feet. We are the heart of Christ to this world. We are the physical manifestation of the grace of God. And as we simply share the grace of God with others, we point them to the grace we've received. As we share with others the love of God, we point them to the love of God that we've received people's lives. Here's the bottom line. As the church moves forward on mission, more people will hear about that grace of God. More people will will, um, have their lives undone by it and remade by it. Here's the thing. People's lives will be changed. And you're like, yeah, Steve, but I I, I just serve on the parking team, right? No, you're actually part of the hospitality team. No, I just serve in infants. I just hold kids. Every act of service contributes to our ability to gather as the church. Now, the gathering is not the whole of the church. You guys know that. I talk a lot about the importance of us meeting in smaller community, our community groups, because life is best changed where you're known and you're knowing and you love and you're being loved. And small community is the best place for that to happen. But the gathering of the church is an essential function of the church. And by us serving at this, we are creating opportunities for people far from God to draw near. People who desperately need to know about the grace of God to hear a message of love so that they can be changed. Your service will equip the church to be the church, and it will result in changed lives. We'll give opportunity for people far from God to draw near and for God to retell their story as a story of redemption and restoration. So three very good reasons. 
why you're going to cross the lobby right over there to the counter, and there are going to be some sign-up sheets, and you're going, where, where are the sign-up sheets? Across the lobby at the counter. They say if you say it like two or three times, people are more likely to remember, so I'll say it like six, okay? Cross the lobby at the counter so that you can sign up. All right, you guys, we're going to move into a time of response. Um, I'm going to put some questions on the screen and ask you guys just to pray and let God speak to you in this. Um, this appeal is important to the church, but it's important to you too. And so I pray that God will move your heart to be excited about the opportunities and the challenges in front of us to weigh on your heart how you can use your gifts, your strengths, your talents, your time, your energy so that the gospel can be advanced through our church so more people can hear it and be changed. Let me pray for us. We'll go into time of response. Father, I thank you that you are a God of grace, that you give us an unending, unwavering invitation to intimacy that you measure us not by our merit, but by Christ's. I pray for my friends that may not know you, that you would move their hearts to simply trust, to believe in Christ, to receive the gift of grace, that they might enjoy sitting at the table covered in the righteousness of Christ. I pray for my friends who are believers, who have become a bit disengaged, that you would excite their minds and their hearts to re-engage, not out of duty or out of guilt, but out of delight and hope that you're a God who is working through us and in us. Father, equip us for the mission that you've entrusted to us. Use us for your glory. And as you do, increase our capacity and experience of joy.